Open up your Bibles to John chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers will uh, come up and down the aisle right now to help you out with that. John chapter 13 is going to be a difficult passage for us to understand. And there's, there's four reasons why John 13 is difficult for us to understand and apply. Uh, four reasons. Here they are. Showers. Soap, socks, and shoes. Sometimes passages of Scripture are difficult to study or explain because there's something about, about the translation from Greek or Hebrew into English. Sometimes there's a, there's a theological conundrum that needs to be solved. Sometimes there's an aspect of culture that we need to dive into. Sometimes it's just plain hard to obey, and, and there are all of these barriers that we need to break down in order to understand and study God's Word. Today, the barriers are showers, soap, socks, and shoes. You see, John 13 is about feet. And even though we live in a world with showers and soap and socks and shoes, we still have a thing about feet, don't we? Right? If I were to ask for 10 volunteers to come up here and take off their shoes and socks, I'm not, I'd be really doubtful that anyone would want to come forward and do that. I mean, maybe one or two. There's a few in every crowd, right? But we have a thing about our feet. We have a thing about others' feet. If I were asked for more volunteers to come up and to touch the different feet, that would just be awkward, wouldn't it? Even though our, our feet are insulated and sanitized by showers and soap and socks and shoes, we still have this, because feet are something we want to stay away from. Even though we have all access to all of these things, teenage boys still manage to have some sort of stench emerge from the feet. No matter how much fresh socks or soap or showers or new shoes. But John chapter 13 zeroes in on a moment where Jesus washed the feet of his 12 disciples. No showers, no soap, no socks, no shoes. Just muddy, caked on dirt and animal excrement from walking around in sandals' feet in the streets of Jerusalem. We have no concept of that. And we're going to need the Spirit's help for us to understand what it meant for Jesus to take that step of humble service. And we need to understand how Jesus has humbly served us and how that empowers us to be able to humbly serve others. That's what we're going after today. For us to understand how Jesus serves us so that we then in turn would be able to humbly serve others. John 13 and verse 1 says, Now before the feast of the Passover... When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of his world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. 
he lay aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. John 13 is the beginning of Jesus' private discussion with his disciples. Last week we looked at his last words spoken publicly before the cross. The next time he's going to speak publicly is when he's going to declare, it is finished. But for the next several chapters, this is a meeting that happens behind closed doors where Jesus is speaking to his disciples. But, but, but before he chooses to speak, he, he does something. Oftentimes, actions speak louder than words. And he washes his disciples' feet. And then he tells them that they are to follow his example. And then he promises there in verse 17, a blessing if they, were, if they know these things and then do them, that they will be blessed. And so if we're going to follow Jesus' example, there's three things we must do. The first one is this, remember his enduring love. We must remember his enduring love. At the end of verse 1 it says, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. This was a group of people that he he invited to this Passover meal. He had arranged for them to gather together. And in verse 1 it says, before the feast of the Passover, this was a holiday. This was a special time to gather with close family and friends. And this is who Jesus invited to his Passover meal to celebrate this holiday together. And it all centers around the Passover and it says, at the Passover, it says, when Jesus knew that his hour had come. This concept of his hour, this is all through the Gospel of John. When his mother wanted him to provide wine at the wedding, Jesus said, my hour has not come. In John 7, verse 30, when they wanted to arrest him, no one could lay a hand on him because his hour had not come. Same thing in John 8, verse 20. And then in John 12, the chapter before this chapter, Jesus rides in on a donkey in fulfillment of prophecy. People welcome him as the king. And then Jesus says, now the hour has come. 
and we see that it's Passover. Passover was a time for families to get together to share family stories, but to share the story. Passover was like Independence Day. It was, it was when Israel experienced their salvation from tyranny, how God led them to exit, to, to led them in the exodus to depart from slavery in Egypt. And a lamb was killed at that time. And each family killed a lamb. And then over, all over and around their door, they spread the lamb's blood. And as the angel of, of the Lord was coming, and, and as the firstborn of everyone in Egypt was being killed as a judgment, the angel of the Lord saw the blood over and around the door and passed over. That's why it's called pass over. But at this Passover, Jesus knows his hour has come. If you rewind to the beginning of the Gospel of John, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, looked at Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God. Jesus, his hour is where he is going to be that Passover Lamb, not just for one family, but for the whole world that he was going to be killed to take away the sins of the world. And on his mind, at this crucial moment, he wants to be together with his disciples. And he loved them. Again, at the end of verse 1, he loved his own who were in the world. And he loved them to the end. He loved them with an everlasting, never giving up love. When we think about humble service... When we think about humbly serving others, we must make sure that our motivation for serving others is love. We want to be a church that is about doing kingdom things, but loved ones, we have to do kingdom things in kingdom ways. Our mission statement as a church is to hope church exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the great commission in the spirit of the great commandment. The Great Commission is making disciples. That's what we're doing right now. We're trying to teach the Bible for people to well do and apply it, to follow Jesus. But we want to do it in the Great Commandment, in the spirit of the Great Commandment, which is loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbor as ourself. This is what we're going after. Our motivation must be love. It starts with understanding God's love for us, and our love for God, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then loving our neighbor. He loved them to the end. Verse 2, it says, During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus loved Judas to the end. Judas, is he's going to leave in like less than an hour. He could have delayed the foot washing thing, right? He's, he's going to tell him what you need to do, go and do quickly. Judas is about to go and sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. A couple hundred bucks was all Jesus was worth to him. And yet Jesus even loved Judas to the end. Loving people and humbly serving people involves serving people that have hurt you that have disappointed you, that have gossiped about you, that have betrayed you. 
Jesus was wiping the mud and the dirt and the gunk off of Judas' feet. How on earth can you do that? How can you humbly serve someone who has hurt you? Well, look at verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God, and was going back to God. Jesus understood his identity. He knew what he had. The Father had given him all things. He knew where he came from. He had come from God. He knew where he was going. He was about to go back to the Father. Notice how everything that he knows is tied to the Father. Jesus could love in his relationship with Judas because he was secure in his relationship with the Father. And we are the same way. Jesus served out of his identity of who he was. We need to serve out of our identity in who we are in Christ. If we try to take our serving and somehow intermesh that, with our identity, that is a recipe for disaster. If we try to allow what we do to inform who we are, that's not going to end well for us. If our identity is that we are the that we are the matriarch of the family that prepares all of the food and brings everyone uh, together and, and everyone raves about the hospitality. If that is what your identity is, not your identity in Christ, but just how you relate to your family, you are just one accident or illness away from having your identity completely crushed. You don't know if this last Thanksgiving dinner was the last one you're actually going to be physically capable to make. If your identity is all tied up in serving your family in that way, that's not healthy. Yes, by all means serve your family, but that's not your identity. Your identity must be who you are in Christ. You might be the rock star, the rock star, not rock star, rock star. I got hit by a rock and now I have a scar. Sorry, I'm distracted. You might be the rock star hope kids teacher. And you're teaching these lessons, the kids are hanging on your every word and you're doing creative illustrations and the kids love you and the parents love you and then someone submits uh, their application to join the team and they happen to be the offspring of Dead Poets Society and Mary Poppins. And now all of the kids that used to be looking to you and listening to you, now they're all flocking after this new teacher. Listen, if your identity is tied up in your service, that will crush you. But if your identity is wrapped up in Christ, you're saying, you know what? That's really great. They're obviously more gifted. And maybe I can find another set of feet to wash. So this is absolutely crucial that we understand that when we serve, we've got to be motivated by love, not motivated that we get something out of it, we get some sort of identity out of what we're doing, that our identity is in Christ. Jesus knew who he was. It's also really important for us to understand this. Jesus is about to do something very, very humble, to wipe and wash the feet of these disciples. Now, sometimes we think in order to be humble, I need to somehow think that I'm worthless, 
Some of us would imagine that Jesus, in order to do just sort of a, a degrading kind of a task as scrubbing someone else's dirty feet, you would think that Jesus would need to be saying something like, oh, I'm just a horrible person and I'm lowly and I'm worthless. But that's not what it says. He knew that the Father had given him all things. He knew, that he, he knew who he was. He knew he came from the Father. He knew where he was going. Listen, humility doesn't come from thinking negative thoughts about yourself. Humility comes from actually security. It comes from the security of knowing who you truly are in Christ. That because the Father's given all things to Christ, that if we are found in Christ, then all things have been given to us. And that if Christ is going to the Father, we know that we're going to the Father. And so when we humbly serve, it's not because we think that we're somehow worth it. It's not even about us. It's about who we are in Christ. So Jesus knew who he was. That's what he knew. And then verse 4 tells us what he did. He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments. And taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. This, was the, this is how servants dressed. It was like you know, putting on the apron, putting on the, 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 the coveralls, whatever was needed to do the dirty work. He put on the, the uniform of a servant. It was a, a towel. He wrapped it around his, his waist. Verse 5, he poured the water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. The towel would have been really long. It would have wrapped it around his waist a couple of times. It would have had all kinds of slack probably thrown over his shoulder. And then as he's washing, he's using the, 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 the towel to wash his disciples' feet. Now you need to understand how people ate at the time. The, the food was placed on a short table or on the floor and they, they leaned on their elbow like this and reached in with, with their hand and everyone was sort of talking like this. This is how people ate. You know, later when it talks about um, the disciple who leaned on Jesus' breast, that seems a little awkward, doesn't it? Talking about this person leaning on Jesus' chest. It, the idea was not that he was leaning on him, but that he was, neck, he was right beside him. So he was the one who was able to ask Jesus the question because he was right here, right up against his chest. There would have been someone up against his back. There would have been someone who was sort of two doors down and all around the circle. Now, as the conversation is going on like this, Jesus started to wash their feet. Now, they would have noticed that Jesus got up, but they wouldn't have necessarily known what he was doing. You see, foot washing was such a, such a menial kind of a task. Only, only the lowliest servants were called upon to do this. This was not something that you would even acknowledge the other person when they were doing it for you. You don't give them a tip. You don't say thank you. There's no eye contact. Chances are, Jesus might, might have got around to a couple of disciples. They didn't even know it was him. They saw Jesus get up. They thought maybe, you know, he, went, he just went to go get some air or go get some more food. Oh, finally, someone's, the servant is here to wash our feet. That's good. Conversation's still going. Someone all of a sudden notices, oh my goodness, this is Jesus. Some of them probably are too embarrassed or ashamed to, to actually uh, say something. Some of them were, you know, hesitant to speak up, but we can always count on one disciple who's not hesitant to speak up, right? Verse 6, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, 
Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus is kind of like, well, I, I mean, I've been going kind of around the circle. This isn't duck, duck, goose here, Peter. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm good. everyone's going get, to get done here. And then Jesus says in verse 7, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. I just stopped on that verse this week. And I just thought about how universally applicable that simple statement from Jesus Christ is. What I am doing right now, you do not understand. But afterwards, you will. I think about how many times in my life where Jesus was doing something in me, around me, and I had no clue what was going on. But then afterwards, I totally understood. And I thought about in my own life right now. Things that are happening, things that are happening in my family, things that are happening in our, uh, in our church, I have no clue why it is happening. But I can take confidence, like Jesus said to Peter in verse 7, you d- what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will. Some of you need to hear that and take that to heart right now, because you're in a situation, you don't understand what God's doing. But afterward, you you will understand. Now, so Jesus tells Peter, listen, I know, this, I know this doesn't make sense to you right now, but I'm just like, in a little while, you're going you're gonna to get it. You're going to understand. Now, for most normal people, that would have been enough, right? Okay, I'll, just, I'll keep my mouth shut. I'll let him do what he does because I obviously, he told me I don't understand. And he told me just to be patient and wait. Most people would just be patient and wait. Peter's not like most people. He's like, understand, schmunderstand. I'm going to tell you something. So Peter said to him, verse 8, you shall never wash my feet. Don't tell me I don't understand, Jesus. You shall never wash my feet. Very calmly, Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Talk about an about face, right? Not, not one drop of water, Jesus. Don't even wash my, don't even, get that towel away from my feet. And then Jesus like, you have no part. Then he's like, get the basin and dump it all over me. Just a total 180. And then Jesus tells them in verse 10, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet but is completely clean, and you are clean. So as we're focusing on remembering Jesus' enduring love, here's the, here's the second thing we, we must do. We must receive his cleansing grace. We must receive his cleansing grace. Peter wanted to honor Jesus as, as Lord and as King And Jesus, rightfully so, is Lord and King. But part of following Jesus is not just honoring him as Lord and King, but also letting him serve you. Also letting him go to the place that's dirty and smelly. And cleaning you. We've got to receive his cleansing grace. 
Warren Wearsby, who went to see the Lord this past year, great Bible uh, teacher out of Chicago, says, it takes humility and grace to serve others, but it also takes humility and grace to allow others to serve us. That's what Peter was lacking. And obviously, obviously, you can see there's a difference between being humble and talking humble. Jesus in this moment is being humble. Peter is trying to talk humble. But notice how he's, he's saying one thing, never wash my feet. Then the next second he's saying, wash all of me. And it's, it's not working. Because he's, he's not being humble, he's just talking humble. There's a huge difference between those things. Now Jesus, again, he's so patient, he's so loving. He told Peter, you'll understand later. If I were Jesus, I would have said something like, by later, I meant later. But Jesus decides to patiently and graciously, okay, Peter, you want to go down this rabbit trail? Okay, I'll follow you down for a little while. So Jesus says, in verse 10, the one who has had The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean. Peter was confused over what Jesus was doing. He was confused about the symbolism behind what Jesus was doing. Jesus was modeling servant-hearted humility, but he was also symbolizing something. And Peter's misunderstanding actually gave Jesus an opportunity to interpret sort of the living parable that he was performing for them. It has to do with having a bath and having washed your feet. Jesus says to Peter, you've already had a bath. Now again, Peter didn't have all the pieces together in terms of Jesus and the cross and the resurrection None of the disciples totally got that. But they were trusting in Jesus. They knew that he was the Messiah. They knew that they were sinners in need of a Savior. And because of that faith, because of their believing, which is the theme of the Gospel of John, because they believed in the Son, they they had already received the gift of eternal life. Their names were written in, in, in the Lamb's Book of Life. So Jesus is saying, you've already been forgiven. You're already one of my children. I've already cleansed you. All you need is a foot washing. Now, in order for us to really get this, I've got to get theological here. And so I want to I bring up a chart here. So the, the vertical axis here sort of describes three sort of paradigms or three states of being. One is our life before Christ, before we become a Christian. The other is the new life that we experience in Christ. And then the final one is eternal life in God's presence with Warren Wiersbe and all others who have trusted Jesus. Life in the chalk line on the, on the horizontal axis, this is, this is just light, like the, the, the day-to-day life that we're living. So without Christ, it's going downhill. And it's not, it's not getting better, it's only getting worse. Then God miraculously intervenes to give us new life in Christ. We didn't earn it. God brought us up there. It's, 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 not that, it's not that we managed to sort of find new life in Christ. No, Christ came looking for us. We were lost. And he is the one who found us. We're not saved by works. We didn't earn our way. We're saved by grace. And that moment, that moment when God saves us, when he gives us the the privilege of being called one of his children, 
It's called justification. It's, it's where we are no longer found guilty for our sin because Jesus took the punishment away. And that's when our new life with Christ begins, justification. For me, that happened at a summer camp when I was about six years old. For some of us, it might have happened a few weeks ago. For others, it's decades and decades ago. It's our justification. It's a moment in time, and it's all God. But then, once we're justified, once we have new life in Christ, our life goes on. And now, we're trying to allow the Spirit to work in our lives. And there's ups and there's downs. And there's, there's our effort trying to follow God, and there's also the Spirit that's helping us follow God, but then there's also the world and our flesh and Satan that's trying to bring us down. And so it's not, it's not tidy. It's messy. There's ups and there's downs. There's peaks and there's valleys. And this process the Bible calls sanctification. Sanctify means to make holy. So sanctification is the process of becoming holy. Justification, we're declared holy, but sanctification is the process of living out, becoming what God has already declared us to be. That's sanctification. And then ultimately, when we go to be with Jesus or when he returns to take us, that's glorification. So there's three stages of the Christian life, justification, sanctification, and glorification. Now go back to a verse 10 with me. It says, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. What Jesus is talking to Peter about here is that, Peter, you've been justified. You've bathed. Because you've placed your faith in me, you are forgiven. So justification is the bath. And sanctification is the ups and downs, the need for foot washing. When we stumble into sin, when we believe the lies of the enemy, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't need to accept him every single time as your Lord and Savior. You don't lose your salvation every time you rebel against your father. No, you, you, he is your father. And Jesus is saying here, listen, you don't need a whole bath. I don't need to do your head and your hands, just your feet. Because you're in me, you're part of the family. And that's what Jesus was trying to get across to, uh, to Peter in that moment. John, who's narrating all of this, also wrote three letters. He wrote 1 John, and in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, he says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John was not written to unbelievers. 1 John is not an evangelistic letter. It's written to Christians to help them grow in Christ, to help them with their sanctification journey. And look what he tells them. Confess your sin. And if you confess your sin, he'll forgive you and he'll cleanse you like a foot washing. Think back to Jesus' words in the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6, 11 and 12. Give us this daily bread and forgive us. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our Debtors, as regularly as we need bread in our physical lives, we need forgiveness and God's grace and his cleansing in our spiritual lives. So Peter didn't understand. Jesus uses this as an opportunity to explain who Peter is now that he's a believer, now that he has placed his faith in Christ as the Messiah, and we can take uh, that and apply that to our lives as well. 
He says in verse 10 and 11, he says, well, not everyone is clean, though, because, again, he's talking about Judas. And the, the next time when we study the next passage at the end of John uh, chapter 13, we'll zero in on, uh, on that part of the story. But look at what he says in verse 12. When he had washed their feet and, and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said, do you understand what I have done to you? Now think back to verse 7. Jesus promised, you don't understand, but you will later. How later? <laughs> like, not that much, right? <laughs> like, Peter, sometimes the understanding later comes like months or years or decades. Sometimes the later will actually, we won't totally understand until we get to glory. But sometimes it's like five minutes. Like, just hold on, Peter. Ted, just hold on. You're, you're going you're gonna to be able to understand. Receive his cleansing grace. Peter was talking humble, but Jesus was being humble. He said, do you understand? Then he says in verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Here, here's the third part. Follow his humble example. Follow his humble example example. Actions do speak louder than words, but sometimes, you know, actions require some explanation. And so Jesus explains to them. He explained to them the theological symbolism of foot washing, and now he's explaining to them just the practical, everyday, ordinary, humble service that he expects his disciples to do for one another. He's telling them, I have set you an example. I've given you a pattern. Here is a model. Do what I did. You know, it's interesting. We, we often talk about following Jesus or walking in his steps or WWJD. What would Jesus do? But hardly ever does Jesus actually say, I just did something and I want you all to do it too. You know, Hebrews tells us that Jesus is upholding the universe by the word of his power. He's not, you go and do likewise, right? Jesus performed substitutionary atonement, bearing the eternal judicial wrath of God towards human beings for, for all of eternity in one instant. One instant, he did all of that. He didn't say, you, you do that too. Even with, his, even with his miracles, I mean, walking on water, Peter asked if he could do it too. How'd that work out for him? For like a second, right? We don't, we're, not, we're not really supposed to do the things that Jesus did unless he told us. And in this instance, he said, do this. Now, we would love for him to tell us, you know, Perform miracles the way I did. Preach the way that I did. Lead the way that I did. And there may be opportunities for any of that. But Jesus said, here's the example, follow it. Wash other people's feet. Now some churches and some traditions take this very literally, even though we live in a world with showers and soap and socks and shoes. Shoes come off at church, and feet get washed, and it's treated like a sacrament, just like, uh, just like we, would, we would think about the ordinances, like we would think about baptism or about communion. It's something that the church does as part of worship. I think that's kind of missing the point. I think Jesus is finding 
saying, find humble, practical, sacrificial ways to serve other people. And foot washing was the ultimate example of that. So how do we follow his example? Well, it begins with love, right? we got to remember his enduring love, and we need to live lives of love. See, when we're motivated by love, you may not love what you're doing, but you can love who you're doing it for. When you love who you're doing it for, you can do almost anything you, would, you wouldn't want to do normally. Ask any parent about diapers. Someone else's kid, no way. Your own kid, everything changes when there's love. You won't always love what you're doing. But you can love the one you're doing it for. And here's the thing. Even if you do have to change someone else's diaper and there isn't that love, ultimately, who are you doing it for? You're doing it for the Lord. So if we have the mentality of we're doing it for God, we can do anything as long as love is our focus. We've got to remember our identity as well. We're not doing it to get something out of it. So Jesus says, this is the example. You've got to follow. I'm your Lord and teacher and this is what I did. And I want you to do it for one another. And then to to cap it all off in verse 17, he says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. He promises this blessing. If you know these things and do them, you will be blessed. So just follow the flow chart. It's pretty simple. Knowing leads to doing, which leads to blessing. It's right there in verse 17. So, you're 75% of the way through this message right now. So you've got the knowing part. Many people in this room could have come up and taught a sermon on John chapter 13. You, You know it. But knowing does not bring the blessing. Knowing must result in doing. We have to make sure that this is happening. I think about all week long, just think about times where I hear the dishwasher being emptied in the other room. And there's the imp- there's the the, the prompting of this, get up and start helping. But I didn't. The knowing didn't result in doing. You can probably think about something this morning that you could have done to humbly, lovingly serve someone else. Sometimes I wonder if people empty the dishwasher extra loud so that other people can, can hear, you know. I, I don't know. But the knowing is not enough. There's no blessing in just knowing. The blessing is in the doing. So what stops us from doing? Well, here's three things that really get us off track. Timing, gifting, and feeling. Timing, gifting, and feeling. Oh, I just sat down. 
It's been, a, it's been a busy day, all the other, it's been a busy day. The person emptying the dishwasher might not have been as busy as I was. It's just not a good time. Normally I would do that, but it's just not, it's just not a good time. Walk around, walk around my house, you'll see all kinds of unfinished or unstarted projects that need to be done just because, why? Because I think, I, don't, I just haven't had the time to get around to do it. So often we don't humbly serve because we think it's a timing thing. It can happen in, in church, can it, right? We think, well, do you, oh, I should really get involved and join a ministry team. And, but, you know, it's, 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 it's back to school. It's sort of a, a busy time. And so you let a couple of months, it's not a good time. Well, well now it's Christmas. And so maybe I'll, maybe I'll do it in the, in the new year. And then you're, you're, you've made some other resolutions and things. So New Year's isn't a good time. And then all of a sudden it's, it's Easter. You've got some family coming over. And then after that, summer holidays. I mean, you, you, can't, do, you can't start in the summer. And then we're back to, back to school. And a whole month goes by. And we've been thinking, sorry, a whole year goes by. And we've been just thinking about timing. And listen, listen. I, I want you to hear this. There, there are seasons where... It's just, it's just appropriate for us to you know, sit on the bench or be up in the press box. Let some of the other players take, take a double shift. There are, there are seasons where that is absolutely necessary. But that cannot be the norm in church life. And, and we can't allow timing to stop us from doing. Things need to get done. And if, if this is your, her, your church home, then you need to be a part of it. So don't allow the timing thing get in the way. The, the other one, the, the gifting thing. The New Testament has a lot of teaching on spiritual gifts. Ephesians chapter 4 and 1 Peter and, and 1 Corinthians uh, chapters 12 through to 14 talk a lot about different gifts and the analogy of a body all working together. And it's, it, there's just so much irony in the fact that these New Testament teachings on serving actually get used and twisted to prevent people from serving. My, my, my gift is this, therefore I can't do that. that. That's not how it works. If you see a need, do it. If you're, oh, my gift is teaching, or my gift is administration, or my gift is, is helps and, and, and mercy, or my gift is encouragement. Well, you know what? Children's ministry needs all four of those gifts. Welcome ministry needs all four of those gifts. Our tellering team, our finance team needs all four of those gifts. We can't just sort of cherry pick whatever ministry we, 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 we prefer and then say that we're just following our spiritual. No, that's just, that's just backwards. If there's a need, we gotta, we got to jump in and serve. And then lastly, feeling. Feeling. I, I just don't, I, I don't feel like helping my family empty the dishwasher. Just at the end of the day, I just, I don't, maybe if I felt like it, I would do it. But listen, believe me, there's a lot of things in the world that if you wait until you feel like it, you're never going to do it. But feeling goes, it goes deeper than that, doesn't it? Not just the whimsical, I'll get around to it when I feel like it. But some of us don't get involved in serving in our workplace or in our home or in our church because our feelings have actually been hurt. 
that you, you tried serving before, it didn't go well. People didn't say thank you. They didn't appreciate you. There was conflict. There was disagreement. There was, it, was, it was tense. And because of that, you're just, I, I, don't want, I, I don't want that because, I, I'm, because of how I feel. Because of how I feel about some of those people who are serving in that ministry. I can't serve alongside them. And listen, that's very real. That might have happened here at this church. That might have happened at a, another church that you've attended before. You're, you're thinking, it might be happening in your home right now. You're so hurt. You're so disappointed by how that your other family members have treated you or are treating you. You don't want to do anything to help. You don't want to serve them. These are all very real. Real barriers. But again... Jesus said, do as I did. So let's, let's look at timing, gifting, and feeling from Jesus' perspective now, okay? Let's think about timing. This is, the, this is the night before Good Friday. Could we all agree that Jesus had a lot on his mind, a lot going on at this point in time? He had already arranged for them to be in that room at that particular time. He had already gone to the trouble. He's got a whole lot of teaching, four chapters worth of teaching that he wants to lay out to the disciples. You might think, you know what, maybe someone else should do this because I've got a lot of other things to focus on. i got a court date tomorrow, a prayer meeting tonight. Did timing stop Jesus? No, it didn't. Why? Because he was motivated by love. Let's think about gifting. Would we agree that Jesus was a highly gifted Bible teacher? Would we agree that he was a pretty good administrator and organizer? You know, the three, the 12, the 72. Would we, would we agree that he was a, a strong leader? Would we agree that he had the gift of healing and miracles? Do you not think Jesus could have said, you know what, I've got a lot of other gifts. I'm, I mean, pretty much anyone could do the foot washing thing. But I'm uniquely gifted. Did Jesus approach things that way? No. Why? Because he was motivated by love. And I think about the feeling thing. We already talked about the fact that the feet that he's washing are Judas's feet. Judas is going to take those clean feet, put his sandals back on, walk out the door, and betray the one wrapped in a towel. And then he's going to move over to the other, other disciples, and one by one, pair of feet after pair of feet, he's going to wash every single one of them, and all of those feet are going to run Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Peter will kind of meander around a little bit before he, betray, before he denies Jesus three times. Think about Jesus' feelings in that moment. But he did it because he was motivated by love. Do you want to know the real, the real secret, the real reason to why Jesus washed their feet? Because their feet were dirty. 
it needed to be done. And so we did it. This is how we need to relate to our family. This is how we need to relate to our church. Things need to be done. We love the people. And even if we have a hard time loving the people, we love the God who has put us in that family or in this church. And we move past these things. Because if we give in to thinking about timing, gifting, and feeling, it results in not doing and no blessing. But if we move from knowing then to doing, we can get ready to experience his blessing in our families, in our lives, and in our church like never before. And when we understand that there is a blessing that comes in the doing, then we move from obligation to opportunity. Then we move from feeling pressured to do something to feeling privileged. You see, Jesus not only lays out the the pattern for how to, how to humbly serve and care for practical needs. He also provides the power. Because when Christ suffered and died on the cross, he also died for all of our selfish excuses that you and I make all the time to not humbly serve others. And yes, the Savior humbled himself by washing feet. But that was just the beginning of his journey to humility over the next four days. He was going to be crucified on our behalf. He was going to serve us by saving us. He has humbly served us so that we can humbly serve others. And so we bow before the feet of the foot washer. We serve others in service to the king who has served us. Let's pray for his help to be able to do that. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and we come to you, Lord, asking for your Spirit to move in us. Lord, I recognize my own failure to follow your example. Lord, I know that you love us and you want to bless us. And so, Father, I pray that we would position ourselves, that we would posture ourselves in such a way to be able to receive that blessing so that we would be able to take what we know and then to act on it, to experience the joy that comes from putting others ahead of ourselves. Lord, there's hundreds of people in this room right now. There's, there's an, a seemingly infinite amount of service opportunities that, that all of us could engage in. Lord, guide us to the ones that you want us to do. Lord, even this afternoon. Lord, we want to be used by you. We want you to take our hands. We want you to take our feet. We want to be your servants and we want to serve others, Lord. Not for our glory or for our identity, but for your glory and because of our identity in you, Lord. Because you love us and we love you. Help us, God, to love others in such a way that we would wash one another's feet. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.